All right, good morning, Veritas. Man, I, I love those days too, Brian, and I actually love your insights into each one of those children as much as, like, I want to be dedicated, right? I want to, what would you say about me? Just pop back up here. Anyway, what a gift, right, to have such, I don't know, very um, dedicated prayer and passages going for each one of those families and stuff. So anyway, Brian, thanks for pastoring well, but for all those children, really, what a, what a cool day for us. Um, Hey, before we jump into Hebrews, and that's where we're going, so if you've got your Bible, you can make your way to the book of Hebrews. Um, We're going to be in chapter 5 and then pouring into chapter 6, but right before we get into the the heart of the text here, when I was up here a couple of weeks ago, some of you were here, and you remember that I I asked us all to pray about this upcoming trip to Zambia, and we were hoping to take a couple medical professionals along, and guys, God just answered and uh, answered abundantly. We've got several different you know, medical doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, they were interested now and want to know how they can help. And a couple of those were actually taking along with us. Uh, we leave in 26 days to go back. And um, not only is God going before us in, in allowing us to take some medical professionals to help get this clinic established, but one of the things we we're praying is that uh, we, we never want to go over there and, and have these just American projects that are they're from our uh, heads, our ideas, and go and kind of force them on. We want this to be a very Zambian um, project from first to last. Well, it was their idea. They're the ones that invited us. But now what we prayed is, okay, if we are able to take some doctors, would that draw the attention of Zambian officials and the Ministry of Health from Zambia to join us and come along? Well, get this. God has, in an Ephesians 3 kind of way, gone way beyond what we asked for or even imagined. We've got a member of parliament, the Zambian parliament, jumping onto our team to go with us out to that village, and he represents that territory, has a heart for what's going on in that village. So you talk about drawing the eye of the government to come and and fan into flame what we're going to try to start with that clinic. We've got a member of parliament coming along. So anyway, I just feel like, yeah, exactly. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. I actually just want to pray again, this time just in thankfulness. So if you'll join me, um, God... You are truly, I get chills right now even talking to you about this, Lord, because you, you're hearing our prayers to you, Lord, and in your abundant kindness, you are going way beyond what we asked for. And so it makes me wonder, Lord, what, what else do you have cooking? What else is up your, your sleeve uh, to show us that, that will kind of blow our minds, Lord, so... It's not to our honor or glory. We don't want our name attached to anything. We want to see the beautiful people of Kabansa Village uh, reached for the gospel of Jesus. We want them helped with with this clinic. Uh, If you could allow us to channel that in some ways, God, we we will give you the honor and glory. And uh, we feel like we're in the grandstands watching you do some stuff, and you're just welcoming us into the story that you've got planned. So thanks for that privilege, and please continue to go before us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, we're in Hebrews chapter 5. And if you remember last week, uh, Mark was teaching. He got to the end of verse 10 of chapter 5, and it mentions this guy Melchizedek. And Mark successfully punted that two weeks down the road, you know, into my court. Thanks, Mark. You know, hey, wait, Jeff will tell you about that. Well, it's interesting because it's not just that Mark punted the whole topic of Melchizedek. 
Actually, the author of Hebrews is punting the idea of Melchizedek. So he's the one that brings up this guy, Melchizedek, and then he doesn't bring it up again until chapter 7. So we'll pick up that story, but it won't be for a couple of weeks until we get to it in the text. Well, why does he do that? Why does he drop this, this big clue trail and then not pick it back up again? Well, one, I think, is it's, it's a little bit of a, a literary device to pique the reader's interest to kind of get us interested because it's going to be pretty epic. When we get to chapter 7, he elaborates on it. It's going to pull together a whole big story arc of the Bible. And so we're going to be leaning in like, okay, tell us, tell us what's coming with this Melchizedek thing. So there's that. But there's a second reason, and I think a more bold reason on the author's part. He's going to hit pause because actually he wants to take a little moment to kick us in the behind a little bit, Okay. Other words come to mind. He's going to kick us a little bit in the backside very deliberately before he goes on to complete the story of Melchizedek. I want to prove that to you a little bit. I want you to go look at verse 10 again of, of chapter 5. He was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek in the verse 11. You know, we've got a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain since you become too lazy to understand he says, you know, I'd love to go on and tell you more about Melchizedek. Oh, you lazy behind. <laughs> you can't figure it out. I can't tell you because you're too lazy to understand what's going on. Go to the end of the text that we're going to look at. Go to chapter 6, down in verse uh, 11. We desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end so that you won't become lazy but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. These bookended ideas of lazy. Guys, he's calling you lazy, okay? Make no mistake, he's saying, hey, I want to tell you about Melchizedek. You know what? You're too lazy. I mean, I, I hope you're a little bit offended, even though you haven't met this guy. I'm telling you, through the eons of time, he is actually calling us, the readers, lazy. Now, I know you're maybe a little offended by that or thinking, no, that's not me. Maybe the guy next to me, certainly the guy next to me, but that's not, that's not me. Let me tell you what I think the author of Hebrews is doing. And I want to do it by way of this illustration. So at this gym I go to, there's this guy named Nick. Now, I want to solve one thing for you right now. You're already giggling because you're thinking, you go to a gym? Yes, I go to a gym. Okay, I don't look like Brian Dermody. I'll never look like Brian Dermody. Some of us come from further back in the pack. You know, I'm never going to look like coach. Okay, so get the giggles out. Yes, I go to a gym. All right, but let's get back to the illustration. There's this guy, Nick, and forever he has this annoying thing about pushing me and prodding me. So in other words, all of a sudden I'll be doing something and he'll come quietly and just drop two heavier kettlebells in front of me. Just look at me and walk away, you know. Or he'll, I'll be on a machine and he'll point to the number and be like, you can get that you know, or whatever. Like, he's constantly pushing and prodding and getting me to do stuff that I never thought I could do. And here's the deal. This is the real kicker of the thing. He's actually right 100% of the time. He actually gets me to do stuff that I would have never done or even thought that I could have done 100% of the time. Because the reality is this, guys. I am lazy, okay? I am clinically lazy. I will always take the path of least resistance. I need somebody else to like push me to that next level because I am deep in my soul a lazy person. All right? Here's the point. The author 
of Hebrews is like that, that coach, like Nick a little bit. He sees more in you than you even see in you, okay? That's the magic of God's word. He is able, the author, God, is able to see more in you than you see in you. And that, that works two ways. On the one hand, he sees more laziness in you than you're willing to admit, okay? We, we tend to think better of ourselves than is right, and so he, what he sees is laziness, and so he's going to call that out, and it might be like, what? But yes, he's going to see laziness, but then positively, you got to hear this too, he genuinely sees how much faith you really have and how much further you could actually go how much stronger that you actually are than even you believe that you are. And so, like a good coach, he's going to get you to embrace what's really true of you and what's really true of your faith and urge you forward, okay? He really is for you. It might start by feeling a little painful and, and you don't, don't look like getting pushed in the way you're going to get pushed, but I'm telling you, it is for your good. It's not just that he's a bully. He's actually trying to draw something really beautiful out of you. Okay, so... That's where I think this whole text is taking us. Now I want to have us just soak in it a little bit. Okay, so we're going to start in verse 11. And here's the thing. The first thing he's going to do is give us the diagnosis. And I believe this is accurate. The diagnosis is you're lazy. Okay, here's how he elaborates on that. Verse 11. We have a great deal to say about this. It's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. And although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature. For those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Guys, what he's saying is, this whole thing that I want to talk to you about with Melchizedek, it's not that it's too difficult to understand. It's that you're too lazy. It's not on the teacher's part. It's not that the teacher's like, man, how do I explain this? He's like, no, the problem is on your end. You as a hearer, as a listener, are you're too lazy to even get there, to understand. Now, this is introducing a really important principle, you guys. Very important principle from the, from the scriptures. Spiritual growth, you guys, is not a static kind of an experience. It, it's not this fixed, stable experience. Spiritual growth is always in flux. Our spiritual life is always fluctuating. It's always in flux. Don't think of your journey of, of faith as almost like think of a football field and you're just marching your way down the football field, but every now and then you can just stop, you know, take a drink, pause for a while, have a conversation with your buddies, and then just pick it up again and keep going. It's not this linear thing where you're just going to start at point A and make your way to the end. No, it's more like bicycling uphill, okay? The spiritual journey is more like bicycling uphill. So I've got a picture I want to show you here. This is a great picture because the, this child is obviously going uphill. We've all been, maybe many of us, have tried to help somebody learn to ride a bike, okay? And if you've especially got a little kid that doesn't quite even understand the dynamics of gravity completely, you know, if they're riding along and they start going uphill, what happens when they just stop exerting energy, right? 
They don't just stop and stay in one place until they pick it back up again, right? They immediately do what? Start going backward, right? You, we've all been there with little kids and all of a sudden, what? You know, and that, it, things go bad. Thankfully, the little boy has a helmet on. All's going to be well. But I'm just saying that's more the picture of the spiritual life that we've got to embrace. Guys, I think some in the room this morning, you have known Jesus for a while. In fact, some of you would say that you've known Jesus for a long time. And in in that way, you might feel like you've got a lead on a lot of the other people, maybe in your row, around in the room, that that haven't, they're newbies, right? They just haven't known Jesus. So you feel like you've you've made it to a certain point and, and you're further down the field. I want you to know something. That's not necessarily true. That's actually not true for you. Because the moment that you stop moving forward, you start moving backward. The moment you start, you know, stopping progress forward, there's this gravitational pull pulling you backward. And so maybe you even remember some of the biblical principles. Maybe you remember some Bible verses. Maybe you're still able to pull out of your backpack some things you picked up along the way. But I'm telling you, immediately after you, if you stop making forward progress, Everything starts getting muddled in your head. And you know what he says here? You can't even tell right from wrong anymore. You've gotten to a point where you're moving so far backward, you've lost your ability. Look what he says there in verse 14. You've lost your ability to even discern what's right from wrong, good from evil. Everything is just kind of getting muddled, and you're actually acting like an infant, and it's pretty pathetic, right? All these babies that were up here, you expect them to act like babies, sound like babies, eat like babies, whatever. But when you have adults acting like babies, isn't it pathetic? In fact, we use that like, you big baby, you know what I mean? We don't say that to an actual baby. We say, oh, what a charming baby. But when we have an adult acting like a baby, we're like, come on, grow up, right? Stop acting like a baby. Guys, yes, amen, from the baby, exactly so. (laughs) Guys, I really feel like we've got a lot of infantile adult Christians running around in God's church. And the key is we have to keep progressing. In fact, the word there, the reason I even my mind went to the gym or whatever, is that word in verse 14, look again, solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. That word trained is the word that we get our word gymnasium from that word, trained, gymnasium. The idea is you have to be constantly in training. And the minute you stop being in training, you start going backward. And I fear that a lot of Christians in American Christianity, and I don't need to just go outside of these walls, right within Veritas, are adult babies, sliding backward, unable to tell right from wrong. I want to meddle just one more moment in this, because I really, as I meditated on this, I felt like, oh man, God, is this, is this a reflection of me and of my brothers and sisters at Veritas? Guys, I think there's a lot of people in the room right now who won't go a day, certainly won't go a week without feeding on Facebook, feeding on the news feeds that you get, 
feeding on Instagram, feeding on the Big Ten Network, whatever it is, you know, feeding on all sorts of things that you're nourishing yourself with, but you will go weeks without nourishing on the Word of God. And when I say nourishing on the Word of God, that isn't just coming under the hearing, having it spoken to you. I'm saying feeding on it, thinking about it, meditating on it, living it out, considering what you should do as a result of the Word of God. And at the end of the day, we can't wonder why our churches are flabby, infantile, and have suddenly lost the ability to know good from evil, right from wrong. Should we go right or left, right? It's because we're not practicing the Bible. We're not feeding on the Bible. We've left the gymnasium, right? We've left the training, which takes me to the warning then. This next passage that we're going to go through is one of Hebrews' warning passages. It's scary, and it's meant to be. If we stay in the condition of being infantile, this is the warning that he's going to lay down. So look at chapter 6 with me. Therefore, right, there's that. Coach talked about this uh, a few weeks ago in Hebrews. When you see those therefores, you got to say, oh, sweeping from what has come before, he's going to let, therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance for dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. I'm going to hit pause just for a second. We're going to keep going. But I, I want you to, the first thing I want you to see is th- this warning. There, we're in danger, okay? And he's going to start describing it. But think, of, think about it like this, okay? Think about it like this. If you go to the doctor and he says, look, you've got diabetes, okay? You get diagnosed with something like diabetes. The next thing uh, a good, faithful doctor is going to do is he's going to say, look, if you continue being lazy, all right, if you continue ignoring this diagnosis I've just given you of diabetes, If you keep eating whatever you want and not exercising and not taking care of yourself, let me paint you a picture of what your life is going to look like someday, okay? And maybe he'll even pull out a picture. He or she will pull out a picture of what diabetes left out of control is going to look like, right? Because he wants you to be afraid of that diagnosis. He wants to say, look, this is, you're lazy, and this is what it's going to look like unless you snap out of that because you've got to address what's going on right now. So, in these first three verses of chapter 6, as he begins to do that, here's what he wants to say. Look, I know you're acting like babies, but you know what? You're not. You're not a baby. You need to stop acting like a baby. Look, you're well-nourished. You've been taught these things. You do have this forward momentum behind you. You're just refusing to act on it, right? In other words, he goes, I'm not going to relay a foundation. Look, if, if you're building a house and you've got a foundation laid, but then you ignore it for a while, you don't come back on and say, okay, you guys, let's lay a foundation. You're like, well, there is a foundation, right? I don't need to relay a foundation. I need to start building on it. He goes, look, I'm not going to relay a foundation because I was there. I know you guys. You know this stuff. I'm not going to relay this stuff. I'm just going to remind you of what you already know. Don't relay the foundation. He talks about these, these pairings of things, repentance and faith in God. That's just the gospel. You know this, that your own works are dead. They're useless. You've got to repent of your own works 
the evil that you've done and even your religion, count it gone and have faith in God. God is the only one that can save, right? So that's just repentance and faith are just the gospel. He says ritual washings and the laying on of hands. There, there's some mystery to this. We're not sure exactly what the ritual washings were, but you get the idea of it's, it's something to do with forward movement, sanctification. In other words, maybe some of these Hebrew Christians continued some of the washings that were true of them when they were just Jewish, not Christian yet. We don't know. But, but whatever it is, it's that idea of, remember in, in John 13 when, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet and he goes, hey, once you've been washed, you just need to scrub your feet a little bit, but the rest of your baby. He's saying, you got to keep moving and just scrub up every now and then, but you're, you're set apart. These, the laying on of hands is likely like when you've been commissioned into ministry, commissioned into becoming a deacon, commissioned into being an elder, maybe a missionary, whatever. He says, you come to Christ through the gospel, and then you, you have this, these marks of maturity that keep going, the sanctification, and then resurrection and judgment. That's the future hope. When, when the curtain comes down, right, and, and all is completed, and Jesus returns, our hope, resurrection, the judgment, he goes, look, you know all the Christianity 101 foundational truths. You know these things. I'm not going to go back. You get this. So if you've stalled out, you just need to kind of rehearse this stuff and move forward. But look at the, the real scary part of this passage. It is impossible. So look at verse 4. It is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. Whew. That is scary. And it's meant to be. Okay? I don't want to take any, I don't want to take any of the threat away from those verses. It is meant to be scary. But I want you to know something really important. Look at how he switches to third person. It's impossible to renew to repentance those. Later, he'll talk about their own harm. They are, right? All of a sudden, he turns to the third person. Apparently, some from their gathering, from their church, have fallen away. That's what he's talking about. They've fallen away. They have drifted. They've slipped away. They've wandered away. And, and it's a frightening thing, right? Because some of the people there in, in the church there are saying, Man, where did those guys go? They used to be right with us. They, they were part of our community. They were enlightened. He uses these words. Look again at those words. They were enlightened. In other words, their eyes seemed to be awakened to the same truth that we were drawn to. They, they seemed to be coming to that city on a hill, that light on a hill, and being drawn into the truth just like I was. They tasted, they shared. He uses all these words. It's like, look, they saw what we saw. They sang the same songs that we sang. They, they carried the same Bible that we, that we carried. Like, they seem to be all in. And it reminds me, you guys, of the example among the very first disciples of Judas Iscariot, right? Guys, who would have thought that Judas Iscariot wasn't a real disciple? None of the other 11 had any idea Guys, they made him the treasurer of the company because he seemed to be, of all of them, the most trustworthy. 
What a shocker that he actually was a betrayer. It was unimaginable. Right? So they're thinking, hey, I remember back, you know, back in Luke 10 when they were sent out two by two, one of the disciples going, he was my ministry partner. He was doing all the same stuff. He was there seeing the same miracles, all the same, tasting the same stuff, enlightened by the same things, right? And suddenly, boom, where is he? My, my best shot at understanding this, you guys, is going after someone who has totally fallen away, is in a, a Judas kind of category that I think he's describing. Going after them by trying to relay the foundation for them is impossible and it's futile because they, like Judas, understand completely what they're walking away from. Does that make sense? It's not, oh, maybe they just missed a part. Oh, maybe if I go and re-preach the gospel to them. What the author of Hebrews is saying is, oh, they know exactly what they're walking away from. They actually were listening along and bolted. And like Judas, they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. They are holding Jesus in contempt. Guys, we all know people who used to sit among us and you're like, man, where'd they, where'd they go? Wait a minute, I, we shared so much together, right? First John says, yeah, they were among us, but they're going actually told us they actually never really were of us. Isn't that scary? But we can't take anything away from this, this kind of scary concept that there are people that fall away and are so deliberate, any amount of preaching to them is of no avail. Now, he gives a short story to make sure we're tracking with this. I don't think he wants us to miss it. So look at verse 7 and 8. This is almost like a little parenthetic little story just to make sure. He says, For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it, that produces vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it's worthless and about to be cursed, and at the end will be burned. <laughs> wow. What's that story? Well, I think he's picking it up right from the words of Jesus. I want to, I'll have it on the screen, but I want to read for you from Matthew chapter 13 because this is the way Jesus described in longer hand those exact two verses. I think he's pulling right from this. Listen, it says, He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. And when the plants sprouted, produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? Oh, an enemy did this, he told them. Oh, so do you want us to go and pull them up? The servants asked him. Oh, no, he said. When you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the wheat first and tie them in bundles to, to burn them, but collect the wheat into my barn. Guys, we can't know all the time what's actually going on among the people around us, right? We don't know, for instance, is the person that's suddenly wandering away a Judas, or are they more like a Peter that denied Jesus but came quickly back, like it was just a momentary fluke, right? And, and they're back. We, we don't know. So here's what I'm saying about that. One, 
don't play God with this. Don't drop the gavel on this. You don't know for sure who is wandering away and who's a Peter and who's a Judas. So don't play God. You're not the judge. That's what that parable is saying. Leave it to the true owner of the harvest field. He will sort it all out. Don't play God, right? But also, guys, don't be naive. Some who are wandering away are wandering away because they're actually lost. And we, we can't give up praying. Let's pray that God does the impossible, right? Let's pray that God does the impossible and brings them back because we don't know, but we can't be naive. We have to know that that's going on. And the reason this is in there is to warn us about this idea that we can somehow stall out step away from our faithfulness toward God and that it, it, no consequence. Oh, I'll just pick things back up again. Or not, right? It's a scary thought. Meant to be. Which is why he comes back, though, guys, to some encouragement. Because, again, I want you to remember, he's talking about them, people that weren't there. But now he's going to go back and talk to the people that are hearing this stuff, right? So look with me at verse, at verse 9. Look, even though we're speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, right? So Veritas, to you that are gathered here, we're confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. God is not unjust. He'll not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate that same diligence for that full assurance of your hope until the end so that you won't become lazy. But we'll be imitators uh, instead of those who inherit the promise through faith and perseverance. So guys, here, here's what's interesting, going back to even Nick from the gym. After he got me to this last week, it was jumping higher, which is ridiculous, but jumping higher on these things, you know, than I thought I could or whatever. Later on, he sent me a text saying, hey man, really good work today. Really good. You know, like, at first it seems like he's just bullying me. And at the end of the day, I realize how much he's really for me. And actually, you know what I mean? That's what I think the author of Hebrews is actually doing now too. He's like, look, you guys, I need to say hard things to you. And I need to warn you about the reality that there are some who were never really of us and wander away. But here's the thing. I'm for you. He says, dearly loved friends. I want to talk to you guys now. Dearly loved friends. In your case, I'm way more confident. Why am I more confident about you? Because, once again, he's going to see in you what sometimes you can't even see in you. He's saying, look, look, God sees your work. He, he sees that you're not drifting. In fact, here you are, Bible's open, ready to lean in. He sees that you're working toward understanding. You're, you want to know about Melchizedek, right? I, I want to build on this foundation. He says, yes, God sees your work. You're here, you're leaning in. God sees your love, that, that you aren't just you know, gratifying your own self. You're actually loving other people. You're serving other people. He uses that word. You're serving other people. God sees all that. And that's, that's means of, of seeing progress and forward movement, right? But he says, you can't slack off now. You can't slack off now. Don't get lazy now. Guys, uh, man, both Coach and then Mark, they've both been encouraging us about this idea of confession, right? Of 
of saying what's true about where we're at. And I just need you to know, my own confession, guys, the time that my hope and my love and my faith, all the things listed here, begin to get pretty dim, it's when I get lazy, right? The times that all of a sudden I start getting a little confused about what's right and wrong, the times that I get lazy about virtually anything, times that I'm just neglecting my Bible, I'm... I'm not reading it with a view to be nourished by it and to be fed by it and to have it change my mind and act differently and not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer also. It's when I get lazy about my commitments to my brothers and sisters. I'm not letting them speak into my life and I'm not speaking back into their life. I'm, I'm drifting. I'm getting away. That's when all of a sudden things start getting muddled. It's when I get lazy about my love and my service to other people, right? He's saying, you're still, I can see that, I can see that, but don't get lazy now. It's when you start getting lazy that everything starts imploding. What the author is doing is he's encouraging us. That word encourage is, this shouldn't be rocket science, but every now and then i got to slow down and think, what does that word mean? Encourage, the first, word, the first two letters in, it's just a prefix to mean to put into what he's doing, he's putting into you, what's he putting into us? Courage, right? In courage. He's trying to stoke courage. He's trying to infuse courage. All of us, at times, we start looking around at people that are falling away. Sometimes we start feeling weak. We start feeling fearful. We start getting insecure. All of a sudden, we can't tell right from wrong. And all of a sudden, we need people to infuse courage into us. The diagnosis is we're lazy, but I think there's a prescription here that might get lost if we, if we don't think about it. Look again at that last verse, verse 12. So that you won't become lazy, but will be, but look at this, it's really important, imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. Don't keep looking at the people who have wandered don't keep looking at the scary things around you. Find some people who are strong and persevering and imitate their faith. I, I want you to see, this is such a theme. He's going to do this in chapter 10. He's doing it in chapter 12. Can you flip forward to chapter 12? We're going to end with this. I just want you to see what we're going to see. It'll be a few weeks before we get there, but chapter 12, the first couple of verses. Look what he says. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us in chapter 11, okay, this large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance, the sin that so easily ensnares us. And here's this journey again. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But here's what he's saying. you got to keep your eyes on Jesus, but you know what you need? You know what the, one of the greatest gifts we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? The company of witnesses that's surrounding us. Back in chapter 6, he's saying, imitate the people who aren't falling backward. <laughs> imitate the people who are strong and going forward. My appeal to you guys is... We get weak because we need a nick in our lives. <laughs> we need somebody coaching us along the way. We need somebody seeing in us what we can't see in ourselves, both the laziness but also the, the real strength and the real faith that is there and we just can't see it for ourselves. Don't stay isolated. 
Don't wander away. Cling to Christ. And that's going to mean cling to the people of God. They're going to stoke your fire and keep you moving forward in this journey of faith. But we need each other to do that. So I just want us to pray right now too that God will use this church, not just individually, this church together to see this accomplished. Will you stand with me? Let's, let's close our time in prayer together. Yeah, let's pray. Jesus, there was, there's a lot that you just laid down for us in this text. And even my weak ability to somehow uh, communicate all that you've given us here. But Lord, your word is so powerful, so supernatural. I pray, God, for any in this room who right now find themselves just anemic, weak, maybe even wandering. Lord, we're all prone to wander. We feel it. We're prone to leave the God that we love. Lord, I pray that you'd use this text to restoke our fire for Jesus. And it, it, in doing so, restoke our passion to be connected with Jesus' followers. So would you help us, God? We're weak, but you are strong. We lack faith, but you, you see in us that transformed faith that you have deposited in us. So pull us forward, Lord. Make us to be the kind of children that bring a smile to your face and even surprise us at what you're able to do through somebody as weak as I am. That's our prayer to you, Lord, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.